Well, hello everybody and welcome to another episode of GUCast. This is Declan Murphy, urologist here at Peter McCallum Cancer Centre in Melbourne. Uh, joined as ever by my co-host, uh, Dr. Renu Epen, urologist here at Peter Mac as well. Hello, Renu. Good morning, Declan. Bit of a sombre mood in the studio today, I think, as we discuss a very <laughs> topical and important issue. Oh, I thought you were talking about the ongoing lockdown and the misery. <laughs> <laughs> that too. Uh, it's all fitting with the mood. Is there anything to look forward to? Surely, we'll pick something. We could talk about Nathan's haircut. We could talk about Nathan's haircut. (laughs) So uh, also with us uh, in studio today is our colleague uh, Nathan Lorenzok, consultant urologist uh, here at Peter Mac in Melbourne and director of urology uh, at the Royal Melbourne across the street. Hello, Nathan, a friend of the podcast. Thanks for coming back Good morning, Nathan. Good morning. Thanks for having me back on. Yeah, the kids did a great job, by the way. Well, with barbershops closed, we have to become, uh, I suppose, a little bit of a mother of invention, don't we? <laughs> yeah, so what's the routine in the Laurentia cars? You've bought yourself a set of clippers, is that right? Uh, we've had several over the lockdowns, <laughs> but uh, my kids have been begging me to, uh, to do it. And of course, being Father's Day yesterday, I couldn't resist and they jumped in, so... Here we are. <laughs> Not do, you, do you cut their hair too, Nathan? No, I, no. They, they wouldn't let me near them. <laughs> really? Fortu- yeah, fortunately, yeah. Oh, the teenage boys. Well, my, I, we've been doing the same since March last year, home haircuts with uh, Daddy, you know, the three yeah. of us uh, taking turns shearing away. And when lockdown lifted, they refused to go back to the hairdressers. They said, oh, we like it at home, you know. So I suspect as the boys get a little bit older, they'll get a lot more conscious about the damage, <laughs> the <laughs> reputational damage. I suspect so. Fantastic. Um, so welcome back. Great to have Nathan back in. And yeah, well, look, we've decided to revisit a topic that we covered a couple of months ago. We were very um, upbeat about it a couple of months ago, weren't we? It was it was a fantastic time when, when yourself included, uh, Jeremy Teo and, uh, and colleagues released a fantastic article about the uh, prevalence of mammals and underrepresentation of women in conferences. Yeah, it did feel like a really good time, didn't it? A yeah. big, big publication, European Urology, uh, systematic review led by Jeremy, um, really uncovering in academic urology, especially around conferences, uh, the, 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 the lack of diversity, uh, gender diversity in conferences. And really, we, you know, we went, it was a lovely paper. Uh, mm. We had Maria Ribal and Stacey Loeb, Jeremy Teo, myself and yourself uh, had a really good podcast. Yeah, we, we'll put a, link, um, put a link in the show notes. And really, I, th- I thought very much some really, really positive reaction on social media. Now, social media is a strange place, isn't it? Um, That that seemed to, by and large, apart from a couple of things we spoke about at the time, really support uh, this and the attention it was drawing um, to it. And in fact, there were a couple of spin-off publications that we'll talk about today that came in the journal, uh, again, reinforcing some positive steps forward, I think, for gender diversity uh, in urology. However, <laughs> there was this letter um, that was uh, written to the editor, a letter to the editor um, by uh, uh, an esteemed um, senior urologist, which has definitely provoked a lot of reaction, um, you know, the usual Twitter storm and all that going around it, um, and has certainly brought the whole issue bubbling back up to the fore and, and, and really some quite, um, you know, diverse views we're seeing, but overall quite a bit of upset, I think, would be one way of summarising it, wouldn't it be? Yeah, I d- definitely think it triggered a lot of emotions. Yeah. <clears throat> this time around um, and, and brought the discussion back into light, but, but it sort of took a bit of a negative twist, didn't it? Yeah, it did. And look, um, so what we decided to do today was revisit the issue. We don't want to dissect the letter. Uh, it's out there for people to have a look at. Um, but what we did want to do is revisit, I suppose, the steps forward, Nathan. Isn't that what we sort of decided? And so we've yeah. invited two great guests um, on the podcast to have a chat about this uh, today. Um, one of them is one of your old mentors from your time in Toronto on fellowship. Isn't that right? Yeah. Of course. It's uh, wonderful to be joined by uh, Professor Neil Fleshner, the uh, chairman of uh, the Department of Urology 
at the University of Toronto. Uh, he's been a, a long stalwart and, and promoter of uh, a lot of aspects of urology and, and also very much being across many of the current issues of urology. And uh, Neil's always um, been a, available f- for comment on all these sort of things. So it's a pleasure to have Neil with us today. Yeah, welcome, Neil. Thank you for Great joining us. Great to see us. you, Neil. Thank you very much to all of you. Good morning to you. Of course, it's good afternoon for late afternoon for us here in the uh, in the east coast of the, uh, North America. Yeah, well, thank you for joining us on a Sunday evening. It's a civilized Monday morning here in total lockdown. Well, we won't go on about the lockdown thing, will we? Um, and we've invited Neil on because um, he has taken a position on this. Um, uh, the letter was written by one of his uh, senior colleagues at the, his department, and they've come out with a sort of a, a formal response, which we'll uh, get to shortly. And we also want to welcome, uh, for the first time on the podcast as well, uh, Dr. Sarah Sutke. Um, from the University of Washington, Seattle, an associate professor at the University of Washington and an associate editor uh, of European Urology. Uh, Sarah, welcome to GUcast. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it and, uh, and good morning to you. <laughs> Thank you. And look, it's great to have Sarah on as well, um, in particular, and uh, not just because she's uh, highly respected in the field, but she did lead a, a really interesting piece that European Urology posted in response to this particular letter. And we really want to focus on that quite a bit uh, in the letter. Yeah, um, I think that letter is important because, you know, again, w- now that this discussion's come back into light, it's important to know how to move forward, um, you know, what educational points to take from this and, and how do we improve the situation. Yeah, and so before we get to that, which we want to devote most of our um, program to today, uh, Nathan, I suppose we did want to invite Neil just to give yeah. some reaction to it. Now, we, we've already made it clear we, we're not going through this whole letter in detail. We don't want to go through it line by line. We really want to focus on the reaction to it, which includes the reaction in Neil's department and the way forward in, in particular with this. But uh, uh, shall we invite Neil to uh, talk to us a bit about it? Yeah, well, obviously I did my fellowship in Toronto uh, for two years and Renew spent time in Toronto as well. So we, we do have a lot of connections uh, back with Toronto. So Neil, uh, what, what's what's your feeling? What's the mood? What's the, yeah, the take-home I mean, it's message? Been a tough, it's been a tough week, to say the least. Um, and uh, on the other hand, even though it's been a tough week, it's actually as a as a leader of this um, of this urological unit, you know, it, as I think we all agree, it's an, as why we're here today. It's an opportunity for us to talk about the issue. I just want to just say that this were words by one of the um, attendings in a staff of 30 attending urologists, one of the largest academic groups in the world. Uh, and it only represents that, uh, the view of one individual. And I, it in no way represents the view of our university, and in no way represents the view of our affiliated hospitals, and in no way uh, represents the view of myself, as I've written already. Um, but what is disheartening uh, is, 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 you know, we've done a lot of work around uh, improving you know our uh recruitment of uh, female urology residents they probably represent now about 40 percent of our residents over the last number of years we're accelerating our hiring of attendings and you know i think what hurts a little bit is when you see in, in twitter some individuals saying that you know because of this letter that represents again one of 29 attendings you know, somehow females should not apply to our program or apply for jobs at our program. And I just want to say that um, that's quite, that for me, that's quite hurtful and really is not uh, the way we practice, operate, or work at the University of Toronto. So we are, and, and um, you know, as part of our last strategic plan, we actually had it there as, as one of our pillars. And I also uh, just want to say that um, we're very committed 
to really drawing on the entire uh, pool of human capital. Um, it is, would be absolutely ridiculous to limit our uh, our um, collective, uh, you know, uh, staff to a certain segment of the population. It's not what we're about, especially in an amazingly diverse city and tolerant, open country like Canada. So that's that's my two words on it. Well said, Neil. I mean, I think that um, Nathan, you know, uh, even during my time, uh, fellowship time at U of T, you know, we've always sensed that it is a a place that that values diversity and inclusion. um, And I've always felt that way. So I think that's why um, partly this letter came as a bit of a shock, because we all know the situation to be different. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Yeah, so it's as simple as that. And as I said, we, we didn't want to dwell uh, on the, the nuts and bones of it too much, but um, your statement brings great clarity to your own position personally, which none of us are surprised about, Neil, and to that of your department, which I know many of your colleagues, including your non-neurology colleagues looking at reaction, um, felt strongly about. Um, but we did want to move on, and let's now uh, have a chat with Sarah about her um, article that she wrote, and we'll put all the links to these position statements and articles uh, in the piece. But Sarah, um, before the letter was uh, was published, I think, or was it before the letter was published? This piece was already drafted, wasn't it? Um, so why don't you it talk? Was us- yeah, super. Shoot. Right. So, um, Dr. Cato, when when uh, Dr. Cato was the uh, editor for the Manal's paper for your paper, which um, we all had a chance to review, and and he actually uh, brought it to myself as an opportunity to write an editorial and to and he, as I think many of you know, Jim is incredibly supportive of um, and a strong advocate for ed- efforts towards DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion work, um, and has been incredibly supportive of of. Uh, sort of advancing that initiative. So he had asked me to take a look at the article and then to um, draft a response. And I I read the article with great interest. Um, as you know, this is a, a an issue that is near and dear to my heart. I've spent a lot of time trying to think about ways that we can continue to advance our to expand our field and expand opportunities for everyone in neurology. Um, and I uh, brought the letter back to the editorial board and, and I and we basically decided that we would write a letter ourselves instead of me searching out additional authors and I, I um, and with and so I, dra- I had drafted the um, statement that you see including a, a, an official stance by our editorial board with respect to our commitment to avoiding uh, exclusive panels and uh, and towards for and forging forward towards expanding opportunities for equity and inclusion in academic discourse, which is our primary opportunity as editors at European Neurology, um, but also uh, as people who are in the in positions where we are lucky enough to have the opportunity to speak at meetings. Um, and that was one of the reasons why one of the things I did was I sat down and looked through a number of different um, protocols and handbooks that have been developed by leaders in diversity, equity, and inclusion work um, to think about putting forward concrete solutions that we can use, concrete sort of um, uh, tactics that we can take as a field to enact real durable culture change and to counteract some of these attitudes that are certainly less pervasive than they used to be, but unfortunately still exist. And so we wrote that letter as a team 
uh, including uh, our statement on our stance regarding exclusive regarding exclusive panels and, and really working to uh, advance inclusive panels. We put in key strategic opportunities where we as a field can advance DEI work. Um, and I included even a speaker writer that can be used just to help people use, uh, sort of find the language, because these are actually hard things to talk about, but when given an opportunity to speak, um, that's a key opportunity for people in our field to actually enact change and ask, is the panel diverse? Is it not? Uh, who else is going to be on it? Um, I'd like to participate, but I'd like to participate if it's it's an, it's an equitable uh, opportunity for all. Because I think one of the things that this this letter brought up is that um, we do want to be very clear that this is not about tokenism or I, I certainly don't want to be given an opportunity because I'm a woman. I have no interest in that. Yeah. I've worked very hard to learn the things that I have learned and to be able to operate the way that I do and to um, to to uh, cre- do the research that I do. Um, and I appreciate every opportunity to share that. But I want to make sure that everyone who has worked hard to learn and to to be a clinician and to be a surgeon and to be a researcher has the opportunity to have their voice heard equally. And it's not about merit. It's it's not necessarily all about merit. It's about ensuring that that everyone has an opportunity to have their voice heard equally, which means that we need to expand our pool and allow and foster cognitive diversity. That's only going to push our field forward. So anyhow, so that was where the, that was the impetus behind the editorial that we wrote that actually was published alongside the original paper. Um, and if nothing, if one, I guess, if we look for silver linings, one positive that may come out of the events of the last week, which have been really hard and hurtful for many of us, um, is it gives us another opportunity to talk about the concrete positive steps forward. And uh, we appreciate the opportunity to talk about this year, both I'm sure Neil and I do. Um, these are these are key these are key uh, initiatives that we should all be working towards. So we can talk about the positive things and talk about the concrete steps and and I think focus on working on this together and avoiding uh, sort of um, either exclusive practices or or creating a sort of an us versus them narrative, which is not productive in any way, shape, or form. Well, well yeah. said. Absolutely. I mean, I think that's the guts of it, isn't it? Because, and like you said, Sarah, you know, a lot of uh, a lot of institutions have now taken uh, official vocal commitments towards improving diversity. You know, we know that AUA, uh, European Urology, Lancet, around the time uh, of, of of your publication, you know, they they committed towards, uh, uh, you know non-exclusive panels and not participating in manuals um, and the same with the with your the commitment that European urology have also made um, and that's that was uh, in your in your editorial yeah. should we read it out Declan yeah there's a beautiful we, we put all the links in here but there's a, a lovely box you put at the end where you literally just in a couple of sentences uh, read out your the position the European urology commitment I suppose so we thought we might just read it out for emphasis yeah so here it is the editorial board of Euro- European urology is committed to inclusive panels at academic meetings as such we will advocate for inclusive panels in which we participate will not serve as panelists at, at public conferences or events that systematically exclude women or participants from diverse backgrounds and will advocate for increased diversity and inclusion on speaker rosters. It's a strong commitment to make. 
Yeah, it is. And of course, it does include other diversity things. So some people have, in some of the comments earlier, said, well, what about what about um, 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 white-only panels and all this sort of stuff as well? Clearly very, very important. But I suppose because the women thing is 50% of the whole population, it, it is the biggest focus. But I, I, one of the other things that I really appreciate about our discussions on this and that statement is it includes all diversity. As you said beautifully, Sarah, all voices, hearing all voices. It's not just about men, women. It's not just about white and others. Uh, this statement applies to to just diversity, um, and and I think that's really important as well. And one other thing I, I really liked about your editorial, Sarah, was was your quote that you included at the start, and and that highlights that this is not just an issue in medicine or urology; it exists across all um, elements of sciences and technology. And I think it was the vice president of IBM that said, "Smart teams will do amazing things, but truly diverse teams will do impossible things." And it really highlights a value of diversity uh, going forward. Also, maybe I could just add in there. I think, you know, I think this concept of just allowing our current talent to bubble up organically is kind of flawed. And I think, I think the reason for that is very simple. You know, there's no doubt that urology has been a bit late for female residents. It was historically seen as a male specialty, maybe like gynecology is today, which is predominantly female. But I think there we could learn from other professions. Uh, Law is one that I think is a great example where uh, for many years now, probably a generation, the majority of the law classes have been still female. Yet when you look at, you know, partners of law firm, senior lawyers, it's still disproportionately male. So this concept of the bubble up organic um, concept, I, I'm not sure it holds water, no pun intended. As we're talking about urology, but I think... Um, I think we want we don't want to waste a generation proving that it may work or not. I think we just have to act and make sure that it happens. And I think that's that's important. I, I couldn't agree more. I think you know, I, I, it took me some time to find the right words to respond to the letter. But when, as I was thinking about it, I think one thing that that does come up is this sort of expectation, you know, just wait until there's enough women and then eventually it'll happen. But we know that that's not true because we know that promotions in academia um, are not, uh, women are promoted at lower rates. There there are multiple recent, really brilliant and well-written and well-researched studies that have, that clearly document issues around promotions, around opportunities in leadership, around opportunities in publication. So we're not just talking about a voice at the podium, a time time at the mic. We're also talking about, you know, when you're at the mic, are you just a moderator or are you someone who's actually being asked your opinion? Are you being offered the opportunity to write an editorial? And these are key metrics. The reason this actually matters is because in academia, all of these opportunities, being an being an editor, being on an editorial board, writing an editorial, um, de- are key parts of developing international and national reputation, which are actually metrics that are used for promotion in academia, and that's important for everything from how much people are paid to advancing further opportunities. And again, this is about building a pipeline. And one thing that I think one. Um, image or sort of, I guess, theme that I think about a lot is widening the path and making it a little bit easier for a lot more people to walk down it um, and not having it be something that's a pretty narrow path that only certain folks are going to get to the edge, get to get it to the the head of. Um, Again, when we do things together, we go faster, we do better, and we solve more problems. And it's important to make sure that all the people that are 
working hard to gain that level of expertise or or, you can share it. Otherwise we're just squandering all that experience, all that training, all that work. So I think, um, yeah. And I think that's where this meritocracy argument is flawed. It's because, you know, if we wait until, if the argument is I'll wait until women achieve the same kind of academic equivalency as men, then they'll be asked to go, you know, to, to uh, to be speakers at conferences. The problem is there is systematic bias at every single level that it, like Sarah said, that path is very hard to walk. Um, so that that's where that meritocracy argument is completely flawed. Nathan, one and of the know, sorry, sorry. Well, I think one of the, if I if I may, you made a, a key point in your paper, which is that when you have a, a woman who is a chair of a session, you're more likely to have more women on it. So we, for better or worse, implicit bias is powerful and pervasive. We we when when we're op, when we're on planning committees, we think about who we know. We think about whose paper we read recently. We think about who we heard speak last year. Um, and those people are are sort of more going are they're going to be more at the front of the the mind of the folks who are planning. So I think that's where having these, for example, speaker bureaus where we can look and see, okay, who is publishing on ECG on responsive bladder cancer? Who is publishing on metastatic kidney cancer right now in 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 you know the microbiome? Instead of just sort of bringing forth the folks who have had these opportunities or or the people again it's all about sponsorship right so one thing that's really wonderful that we can all do is we know our trainees who may not have had an opportunity or our colleagues who may not have had an opportunity to speak about something that they're really experts in and instead of pegging the person who has had an opportunity to talk there's probably untapped potential that we can harness and bring another voice into the conversation and more perspective so again it's it's about as Neil so thoughtfully said at the very beginning, it's it's using all of human capital here. We have a big field with a lot of experts. Um, it's important that they they that everyone has the opportunity to actually have their voices heard. So yeah, and I think the ultimate product, you know, at the end of the day, which is how we look after our patients, how we create new knowledge, innovate and teach, will be better for it. I mean, it's impossible that it wouldn't be. Um, mm-hmm. Be just because of its sheer math, right? Uh, so, so I, I strongly endorse this. Um, and you know what? In some ways, maybe it is a blessing that this happened this week because it really does represent an opportunity for all of us to uh, maybe have a deeper conversation. I could tell you, I now have a topic for my uh, staff retreat, uh, faculty <laughs> retreat this year. <laughs> and uh, so um, I think it's, uh, you know, maybe in some ways, it's, it's, it is a blessing in disguise. I actually think the same thing, you know. I think we had a good push on this um, when we published the original piece, but this has actually totally galvanised it. And actually, the, the la- in the last few minutes, what we want to talk about are the practical steps forward um, as well, um, especially with Neil and uh, Nathan for a few minutes as heads of department and people who convene a lot of meetings as well. So as Sarah touched on there, one of the topics and one of the things that came up after we published the panel was a, a relatively young um, US-based um, male urologist out of things saying look it's it's tricky have you any tips for how we would um uh, you know if you get an invitation to speak at a meeting it might be a good opportunity you don't get a lot of them you're building your career how do you gently open the can to say um, could i be stuck on a mantle and that's one of the nice pieces about this paper is i think it will give us some language that will make conference organizers understand that someone's pushed back the european urology piece and it's okay to ask but it is a practical thing about conferences um nathan and so i want to ask your opinion on practical steps 
steps and um, societies and conferences can take uh, to actually put put these things into practice like this year and next year people who are out there listening yeah. who are planning next year's meetings come on you know um, because you've done this a couple of times now convening the USAN's annual scientific meeting where you took an extremely uh, proactive view on how you built that diversity absolutely and I think it's uh, there's the two challenges here it's often the same people get tapped on the shoulder because they know that um, the people tapping on the shoulder know that they'll step forward. But the people tapping on the shoulder need to know who they're tapping on the shoulder, if that kind of makes sense. And I know, for example, you know, Neil organised a lot of meetings and all of us have have been involved. But take, for example, uh, I remember being at uh, on the scientific committee looking for speakers for our meeting in Australia. And of course, you know me, I'm always got my eyes out. And I remember being at the SUO meeting in... um, I can't remember which where it was, somewhere in the US. Anyway, Donna Hansel got up to give this talk and she was absolutely brilliant. And I think before she'd got off the podium, I'd found her email address just through the internet and I'd already invited her. I said, would you love to come to Australia? Now, 20 minutes later, she said, oh, I'm in a taxi on my way to the airport. I'd love to. And that was it. You know, The fact is you have to consciously be in the time and space and actually make the effort when you're the convener, it's on your shoulders. So I think there are little things like that. It's literally you see or hear someone who's good. It doesn't matter who they are. Get in touch with them straight away. And we can do that with the internet these days. It's amazing. So, And she, as you know, she came out and was the superstar of our meeting. I mean, she would have won the the Golden Globe, the Academy Award. (laughs) I mean, she was the star of the show. So I I think it it is incumbent upon us to actually not just go to meetings and shake hands with people we know and whatever. It's also to listen and say, hey – they're young or whatever, I haven't heard them before, but gee, they're fantastic. And you've actually got to write it down and have them on your list. And then, you know, they get that opportunity, they're heard again and again. And that's how these things snowball. So I think we've got to be careful we don't sort of just keep going back to the same cave, retreating with the same things. We've got to step out, go across to a different part of the world. And I think that's the challenge is if, if you're going to do that, that's great, but you need help to do that. And, you know, um, Renu and I even talked at one point about creating an international speakers bureau, remember? Yeah. I said, it's yeah. so frustrating because you, you look at all these meetings and you say, I want to get someone to talk, as you mentioned before, say about, say, bladder cancer or something. You want to get someone good as well. And not all speakers are good, let me tell you. We've sat through pretty bad meetings. Yeah. But you, you mm-hmm. almost uh, want to try even too hard to get someone who's even better than average. But I think it starts with, the person tapping the person on the shoulder needs to know that the person they're tapping has got is across these issues. That is the first thing by a mile because if they're not across these issues, they're tapping the wrong person on the shoulder. Yeah. And, uh, you know, um, Declan and I have had the experience, uh, a great example, we set up a women in urology breakfast at uh, a meeting and fortunately it's gone forward, but we were shocked that, um, you know, a year or two later it had disappeared off the... Uh, off the, of the whole landscape, and we're saying, what happened here? This meeting had a real head of steam. We had a sponsor. Yeah, standing room only. It, it was standing room. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and you sort of you think, what on earth is going on here? People sort of, I don't know, it's, just, it, it's bizarre that this can still happen. So I think it does require a conscious effort. But, I, but I, on a positive note, and I'll, I'll hear this, I'll just say one thing which is really positive. I was tapped on the shoulder by one of my fellows who I – did an SUI fellowship with Neil within Toronto, Alex Cahoon. She invited me to be on a panel and to talk at BAUS this year. So I think there is, you know, there are great examples there that, you know, through these sort of fellowship programs where there is, uh, you know, a whole 
range of people. You know, there I am 10 years on from my fellowship getting tapped on the shoulder by Alex Cahoon and she was, you know, in charge of that section of Bowes. So I think, you know, the worm can turn, as we say, and, and every year I get, um, uh, you know, invites to various things from our fellowship group. The number of, you know, great females and other diverse people is growing and growing. So I, I think we ought to not be too negative in a way because there are positives, but I think we need to be just conscious of how to, put, how to give things a nudge in the right direction. Yeah, I agree. And I, and I think also, Nathan, yeah. is, um, you know, some one of the excuses we hear is that, oh, I asked this fantastic woman to be a speaker, but she was unavailable, so we're back to a mantle. But the thing is, that tap on the shoulder could be, can you suggest someone, someone good that you know of? Um, and also, t- that, that, that whole model, though, does rely a little bit on individuals like Nathan or Neil or me, people who have been strong track record in promoting women in these conferences. But it if you, in, we've talked about this on the podcast before, I think the, the major scientific organizations should have it on their agenda item when they're planning. You know, they've got professional conference organizers and, the, and you know, the president of your organization. But, you know, on, on the annual Congress planning, two years out, item six, you know, gender diversity and race diversity, et cetera. And it's on the agenda so that, you know, the it new convener. Be, yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I was, I was going to say it should almost be, um, you know, an item on a chat box, right? When, you, when you're putting your meetings together, I think it has a reminder you know, you should just have, you know, are yeah. we fulfilling an EDI, yeah. D-I-E, D-I mandate? Uh, it's got different acronyms, but it's the same three letters. Um, I, I also think when, and I just take a step back, it's not obviously about meetings, right? I, every, every search committee at the university has uh, a representative, every division and department has a EDI representative at our institution. Uh, in university, so I think I think um, that helps obviously as well. So um, we want to make sure that um, this is not just uh, at the end of the day just about conferences, right? It's about um, it's about facilitating careers. And one, so one of the things that's key about in doing all of this again is is tracking, right? So we actually want to have the data to say, well, did we do a good job in being representative in in fostering diversity and making sure that we talk to people who come from various backgrounds and various perspectives. Did we hear those all? Um, and so that was actually in one of the, in the table that we put into our editorial, that was one of the key points was, you know, we have to just understand where, what the numbers are because that just, it's just all about, again, awareness. And there are really, as I mentioned, great speakers bureaus that can be used um, with either through either the society of women in urology, or we, we um, started the women in urologic oncology and we have a dedicated registry of all of our members and all of the things that they're experts in um, and that they like to give talks on because that's important too. Um, so that there, there's, there's plenty of, of opportunities. And I certainly, know like whenever somebody asks me to give a talk and if I can't make it I say hey there's this really fabulous person and I'd love for you to uh, extend the invitation to them they would do a great job so sponsorship is another big part of this right if you can't do it you you bring along somebody else um, and and give that opportunity and sort of uh, keep keep again promoting uh, all these other really great people who who need a chance to be heard you know, one of the one of the the teachings I have from this is I still, you know, despite I've been very vocal on this for a few years, like Nathan, have been get caught on mantles. You know, yeah. I was caught on one already this year, 
And it's because when you get invited to do a lot of talks, and I'll say, especially here in the Asia-Pacific region, where we have a complete lack of diversity uh, up in many of our Asian neighbours, and which many are addressing, but the fact is it is a much bigger issue in some of our Asia-Pacific um, neighbouring countries here. And you get invited, you say, thanks, I'll do this talk, I'll do that talk. You forget about it, you lock it in, um, uh, and then you turn up you know, the, on the day and look at the programme and realise, I'm caught on a mantle. All <laughs> <laughs> um, the panels uh, change over time. Yeah, or they change, because very often it, when you get invited, yeah. you don't see the panel. However, that's one of the things I really like, Sarah, about this uh, pivoting towards actually it's okay to put in this thing. And I've, when I've been caught on a, when I've been invited onto a panel before, and I think we've, we've, we've tweeted about this, I have replied to say, I'm terribly sorry, I can't accept this invitation because of this. Um, but I think, um, you know, that requires having some confidence. And I think, um, you know, that's what the others were saying, as I mentioned on Twitter, that it's not actually that easy to do that. But one of the really nice things about this piece is it will give people a little bit of language, a bit of support to be able to say, thanks so much for the invitation. And um, just, you know, by by the way, I, I strongly endorse this position from European Urology, blah, blah, blah. Could you please kindly, you know, address this for me? So I think um, you can inadvertently be caught on mantles. Neil, I'm sure you've been caught on a mantle yourself before. Uh, we all have, Nathan, haven't we? But, um, you know, I think that this language will help people feel that, oh yeah, in accepting a talk, you know, it's totally acceptable to actually put in this bit from European uh, urology. Yeah, I mean, not only is it totally acceptable, now that this issue has come into light so much, it's almost kind of, you know, it's not desirable to, to have a picture of you on a mantle oh, on yeah. social media. <laughs> yeah, <I think laughs> You'll be out. hashtagged <laughs> for sure. Um, but that's right. I mean, it's, it's such an inadvertent subconscious bias, but it takes a real conscious effort to overcome it. Um, Sarah, one thing I wanted to, to bring up with you was, I mean, there, there's been a, a little bit of criticism on social media. Uh, should this article ever even have been published? The letter. The, the letter. Yeah. The, the, yeah. Um, and we were keen to, to hear your take on it. I think that is, that has been definitely, there's been a lot of discussion around that. And um, and I'll tell you, I, I'm, the first time I read the letter was uh, late last, a week ago, Thursday, on social media. I didn't know it was going to be published. Um, but I think that, that, that there's, this is an opportunity. And I think that, that Neil said it well earlier. Um, the reason that in it was it, the decision to publish it came from the journal, um, from the managing editor of the Mannels paper. The, the way that these letters come in is we receive many, many, many of them. And usually the editor who was the editor for that paper that's any letters to the editor. We make sure that the authors have an opportunity to respond as, as um, Declan and Dr. Tio and Dr. Um, Rebella did and in their really appropriate and excellently written um, response. And then it's an opportunity to, to share a view. Now that letter does not represent the views of the journal. I think one thing that was challenging about this was that it sort of just dropped and um, and I think that there were a lot of comments about the fact that it was a really hard letter for people to read. Um, I've shared with, I, we, and we were talking before this meeting, this panel today, I, we talked about the fact that, you know, it's, it was hard for me to read. It was, it certainly, I think some people said it was triggering and I think that's true. It, it, it's hard to have um, these kinds of views put into black and white, especially um, when they are the kinds of views that many of us are working very hard to move away from. Should it have been published, um, it gets into a, a pretty challenging debate around uh, freedom of speech, but I think that we can take this as something that is positive. Um, these views do not represent the views of 
the University of Toronto. They do not represent the views of European urology. They are out there, however, and we need to acknowledge them and we need to we need to do what we're doing right now, which is grapple with these issues and then think about how we're going to actually move forward. Again, we cannot wait for the status quo to change. We must change it. We only can change it if we know what the status quo actually is. And one of the issues in the world right now, and especially with social media and everything else, is that some views are held and, and are sort of bounced around in echo chambers that don't necessarily make it over, even though people who are in separate echo chambers feel the ramifications of those views. We have an opportunity to look at these words and look at these sentiments and grapple and have a tough conversation. And thank you for hosting a tough conversation today where we can actually respond and say, okay, again, I wanted to echo most, that. I most of us knew this. Yeah, we knew these views were out there, but now we can, let's, let's take this as an opportunity to hear them, respectfully acknowledge and disagree and then move forward I'm sorry neil please go ahead yeah no i thank you well i just wanted to again thank you renu declan and, and nathan for giving us a platform to share mm -hmm. our thoughts about this as well so uh this yeah, helps you. you know both alleviate some of the grief but also uh open the conversation in a productive way going forward so i thank you guys for that yeah, well, Using thank you. generically, of course. Yeah, look, thank you. And I, it's been, I've really enjoyed this, um, listening to this conversation for the last 30 minutes. I think it really does give us the positives uh, to go forward. Um, I do think the journal handled this brilliantly. First of all, by publishing this paper. Second, by you know, um, commissioning this fabulous piece. Plus, yeah. there's another piece we haven't really talked about, but uh, um, uh, leaders from EAU and AUA also wrote a piece in support of this, all being done dis you know, regardless of the letter, which came in separately. And I, I do agree with you, Sarah, um, and Jim uh, Cato, um, revered uh, friend and editor-in-chief of the journal, has also been responding very, very proactively, uh, sensibly on social media to all of this, pointing us towards it. So I think this has given us the way forward, uh, yeah. would you say? Um, Nathan, uh, final thoughts from you on, on the whole thing, on the way forward? Oh, look, it, it starts with little things, isn't it? Inviting a diverse range of reviewers for an article, um, co-publishing with people and, and pushing people forward who, who want to be pushed forward and you know giving that opportunity. So for me, it's all about opportunity. Opportunity yeah. will then help rebalance the situation, I think. Yeah, totally right. <sighs> there you go, Renu. I feel better now. Do you feel better? <laughs> Good. We're, well, we're still in lockdown, but you have yeah. cheered us up uh, today Absolutely. by uh, giving us um, a positive uh, way forward. Um, Neil and Sarah, lovely to have you on. Please, we should get these folk back again. They're just ah, fantastic. Yes. So good. And we don't have to be talking about this topic all the time because we know you're yeah. both um, fantastic urologists who will want to come on and talk about all sorts of other stuff um, as well. What about that guitar in the background behind Neil Flesher? <laughs> Is that one of those, those Zoom? Is that one of those Zoom props or does he actually yeah. play the guitar? You know, yeah. people have things behind them so people judge them, but does he play the guitar? Uh, I have seen him strum really? occasionally. Yeah. I, I love the way he's sharing the Zoom screen with his guitar, though. That is that is quite impressive. Very neat pleasure. Yeah, exactly. And Sarah, thank you so much uh, for joining us. Um, that's and all great we, to have you, Nathan. Yeah, of course. Nathan Lorenzo. Come back soon. Friend of the podcast, uh, back again. Thanks so See you guys. Much. Um, thank yeah. you so much. Thank you very Thank much. You we'll guys. put some useful links um, in the podcast for those who want to read a bit more on this topic. And uh, we're posting again on YouTube. This seems to be very popular. People like uh, seeing a bit of video as well, interestingly. We get a, a lot of positive feedback about that. If you have other topics you would like us to speak about, as ever, please shout out. But in the meantime, that's all from myself, Renu and Nathan here in the studio and Sarah and Neil on Zoom. Thank you. Thank you.